darlings, and welcome to One Inch Past Scary Podcast. I am Kirsty Sayer. I am delighted to be speaking to you on this 27th of January 2022. Um, I hope you are okay. I was going to say, um, I hope this finds you well, some similar social gaffe. Did you know that we are not supposed to say that anymore to each other? Um, understandably so, because who is well? <laughs> um, no, jokes aside, but yes, I think um, most people are struggling on some level, and uh, being well is relative at this point, and I hope that you are doing relatively well. I hope that things are bearable, and that um, if they aren't, you can... Um, feel my love and comfort from here. Um, sending you strength and peace and just a lot of love. Uh, you are doing a good job hanging in there. This has been a really hard time. Life in and of itself is tough. It will beat us up. It does beat us up. It is fairly relentless in... Um, it's determination for us to grow and while there's lots of if we're lucky joy in between uh, growth spurts um, it is yeah growing pains are real and wow sometimes brutal and so adding the um, naturally extraordinarily challenging circumstances that are just sort of native to everyday life, adding um, going into our third year of a pandemic on top of that is a lot. And so if you are not feeling at your peak, um, yeah, that's, I would say, a fairly universal experience. And I hope that you are being as kind to yourself as possible about that. Um, I am a big believer in us all sort of taking stock um, on a regular basis um, of what we are experiencing and what we have experienced and acknowledging how hard and weird and like absolutely bonkers and painful and just wow. It has all been. Um, I think that when something drags on for this long, there is so much normalization that happens that we forget who we were before and what we've endured and how abnormal this is and how quickly our lives changed completely and how hard that is and how much we're asking of ourselves and each other. And we sort of just, you know, I mean, all things considered, if you're being hard on yourself and I guess anyone else at this point, to be honest, and I am hard on both myself and others. Um, I'll be the first to admit it's, it doesn't really make a lot of sense <laughs> considering what we're all going through life on top of every baby's first pandemic everybody's first pandemic um it's been a lot and so i hope that you are um just acknowledging that it's been a lot and if you are not doing as well as you think you should be doing put those those feelings um, into a non-judgmental part of your brain. You can certainly observe them and wish that you were doing better and everything, but don't be hard on yourself because, you know, this is hard enough as it is. And I hope that you can feel my love and support and uh, give yourself the grace that you deserve, that we all deserve, because times be bonkers. Um while I um, am so, so much a fan of, of acknowledgement and processing of difficult things and, you know, like pointing at the elephant in the room is my very special, my very special gift in life. I have never been afraid 
to say um, what others may be thinking or to point out um, when things are abnormal, but everybody else is acting like they're normal. Some of us have that gift and it's actually kind of, it's a, it's a sign of uh, neurodivergency. It's one of the, um, I think, the gifts of it. Other people may not look kindly upon it, but I think that those of us who are willing to do that have a really great special place in society and an important one. And so while I'm all about acknowledging the difficulties that we the acute difficulties that we are all experiencing, um, some even more than others. You know, I have never known a time where so many people close to me are going through such unfathomably excruciating experiences. This is truly a very, very, very dark time um, for so many people I know and love and as well as universally. So while I'm just all about that and all about, you know, calling a spade a spade and making sure that we all know that we're dealing with a lot and that, you know, to, um, have, you know, adjust expectations accordingly. I also want to say that I can get super lost in, you know, how dark and disgusting and despairing and disappointing and discouraging it all is um particularly when i contemplate sort of my loss of innocence regarding um how i personally hoped uh this the team that is humanity would come together in a situation like this in a crisis such as this and you know my disappointment, which is shared by so many other people over how badly this group project um, has been handled and how divisive it's been unnecessarily and how, you know, so much unnecessary pain and, and all that has occurred because of it. Um, I would be so remiss if I didn't highlight an experience that I've had, you know, front row VIP tickets for um, that really show, shines a light on a whole different side of humanity that's still alive and well and thriving. And um, to cut a long story short, my husband, Aaron Sayer, awesome Aaron, um, otherwise known as say, the most humble and self-effacing man in the world, annoyingly so, upsettingly so, irritatingly so, um, really, ridiculously so, um, had a very important part to play in a incredible piece of scientific technology, um, a massive engineering breakthrough called the James Webb Space Telescope. And you might have heard of it because it has been a headline in the news, um, particularly in the last couple of months. This week, um, I just did a quick search and every major news outlet had it as a headline um, because this incredible telescope had completed its million mile, you heard that correctly, million mile trip into outer space. And it's safely parked in the orbit that it was destined to park in and is um, now all set to um, look back and capture images as far back as the Big Bang, like the origin of first light, the first stars. That is a concept that is very hard for me to grasp. It's all too big and too incredible. But it is phenomenal. And when you hear scientists talking about um, unlocking the mysteries of the universe, you know, using that kind of somewhat poetic terminology, but these are very serious top of, you know, top of their game, world-class scientists, it gives you a thrill, even if your husband didn't have a huge part to play. So, if you don't know me and you haven't seen my not at all humble, completely out there brags on his behalf because somebody's got to do it um, um, on my social media platforms 
lately, Erin was involved in um, cre creating the mirrors. So if you look at images of the James Webb Space Telescope, you'll see these golden hexagonal mirrors. And there's a whole bunch of them. And he was heavily involved in that. He did the, you know, the, he he created or you know made sure that there is the right grade of beryllium the exact right grade of beryllium he's a um, expert in beryllium he's a metallurgical engineer and he um you know made sure that that beryllium was of the right kind was pure enough and perfect enough to um do the job because those mirrors are made out of beryllium and then he he treated them to make sure that they would be both um flexible and strong enough and you know able to withstand the rigors of going a million miles into space and and do the job and so yeah he touched every one of those mirrors <laughs> he had every single part you know he had a part to play in them from beginning to end and that is huge and he has We've been waiting for this launch since um, we arrived in Ohio. So that's more than 18 years ago. And um, he he's always quick to add that his part was done on schedule. Like that was done. But obviously um, with something of this kind of magnitude, it's there were many, many delays and setbacks and all that sort of thing. So it's been 18 years and it finally happened. Um, and, you know, it's now it's now locked in place and we will wait for the images to return and that's actually going to take six months so yeah we it's going to be a long six months but it's we're very very excited and so my point in bragging obviously is 100 percent to brag valid because this man if honestly i wouldn't know any of this if it wasn't in the news and um it's I, I cannot overstate the amount to which he downgrades, downplays, and just uh, self-effaces. It's it's like I said, very very problematic for me. But um, my point in pointing all this out, apart from the you know the obvious bragging, which is obviously very valid, is that I have seen people coming together. You know, just in this most you know, in wonder and all the smartest, most brilliant brains on, you know, in the world, just this thing started as a dream, as an impossible dream, right? Somebody had an impossible dream. And so many people came together and did work together and collaborated and tried and tried again and failed and failed and failed and kept going back and funded it and got more funding when the funding ran out. And and tweaked and worked together and cooperated and holy crap and you know and these the range of people that had a part to play you know both blue collar and scientists you know across the country so many people were involved in this magnificent magnificent piece of engineering and science and technology and it all started with somebody's dream and hope and people came together to make it happen and they did cooperate and they did it in a beautiful life affirming humanity affirming way just like the scientists who came together to get the vaccine to us in such an incredibly short amount of time and it's so freaking effective and it's safe and it's doing its job you know it's stopping people from dying and keeping people out of the hospital and it's in two years, we've taken something that was terrifying and that, you know, anyone, no matter how healthy they were, could potentially die from or, you know, or have their health completely ruined from. And they get a couple of shots and they are, have phenomenally less likely to have a, you know, less than uncomfortable outcome other than, you know, long COVID. But um, not dying, not clogging up a hospital, not being on a ventilator, not causing your family that kind of trauma. Like in two years, we did do that. You know, there have been a lot of people that have come together and done phenomenal work. And watching, you know, these these brilliant, you know, sort of low, you know, 
unemotional type scientists sort of hugging um, after the launch on Christmas Day and, you know, biting their nails and watching, you know, at every point, you know, there's four different ways in at four different parts of the launch that were just nail biting and every single part of that going flawlessly because people came together and did cooperate and didn't give up and for you know for over 18 years far longer than 18 years you know we've had a part we've we've you know been part of it for 18 years but it's it was conceived of long before then and just not giving up and now the fact that everybody on this planet and in the future will be able to see things that they never dreamed they could see and discover things and you know find out so much about what's out there and in turn more about ourselves and our own planet that's cool and the fact that you know i've spent so much time sort of making sure that we're all very aware of and conscious of you know this is not normal and this is bad and we're all enduring enough needs to be balanced i think by the fact that there are still phenomenal displays of enormous collaboration and hope and it's so freaking life-affirming you know because of aaron's um humility problem shall we say even his own family were like spectacularly unimpressed because he just didn't you know didn't ever talk about it didn't hype it up very much whatever and you know since it's gone mainstream and I've pushed him to talk about it more and discovered his part in it and um, I've joined like this little well little Facebook group that's growing by thousands of individuals every day of people who are just lay people for the most part who are just so excited about this development who still have childlike awe and wonder and it has been so exciting to see that, you know, that people still have hope for the future, that they're looking forward to something collectively. The people who had no part to play in this and have no, you know, skin in the game the way that I do are so freaking stoked. You know, there's there's people who are, are recreating the mirrors. Um, we call them Aaron's mirrors and forevermore. Anyone who knows us will... Um, please be calling them Aaron Mir Aaron's mirrors. <laughs> but no, truly, I mean, he definitely, he has a great sense of ownership and pride in those mirrors. But people are recreating those as like mirrors for their home and like decor and like statement pieces, like as a hobby, as just people who are so excited about this, little kids are making models of this thing. And I'm just looking out there, I'm like, there's so many people who are so excited about something and so appreciative about it. And it really warms my heart. One guy said to Aaron, you know, there was a question asked and Aaron answered it on the site and everybody was super excited and in awe and grateful and everything, which is just so sweet. And that's been very life affirming in and of itself. But one guy said, you have touched eternity in a way. And I was like, what a beautiful thing. Like, that is such a beautiful thing. And this, you know, this is my husband. This is the guy that just folds the underwear and makes dinner every night and washes dishes and is just so humble. And you would never know, even, you know, I'm his wife. I would never know. <laughs> Truly, it's crazy, but yes, there are so many people that move among us who are doing remarkable things, remarkable things. And if it's not that they're putting things a million miles into space that will unlock the mysteries of the universe. Sorry, I'm going to say that a lot. I really like that phrase, but um, there are people who have shown up for kids and are teaching under the most ridiculous circumstances. I heard of a woman who's teaching, who's doing Zoom from her husband's hospital room where he was taken in an ambulance from his place of work because he was so sick from COVID and she's Zoom teaching. I mean, honestly, that is obscene and should not be happening. But there are people who have like hung in there against all odds and done incredible things. Teachers have come together, you know, even after they've, pretty much been abandoned by their communities even by you know the administration that's supposed to be taking care of them and whatever and have just put the kids first and then of course the healthcare workers who just keep showing up like 
that's unfathomable. That is collaboration. Those are good human beings. Those people still exist. That is something that I also need to focus on more. And so, you know, yes, these are abnormal times and we are all experiencing an incredible shift in everything. Um, and that's the most, you know, the most sort of <clears throat> positive way to spin it, I guess, that we've experienced a shift. I mean, we've experienced trauma, you know, there's been loss. Every single person has experienced loss of some kind. Um, from, you know, the worst, losing somebody you love in an untimely manner um, to, you know, losing your health, your employment, hopes, dreams, opportunities, uh, employment, wealth, opportunity, uh, friends, uh, friends, my goodness. And then just, you know, the sense of innocence and stuff. That's been a lot. And we need to remember that there are still good people out there, plenty of them, and they are still collaborating and they're doing good things. And, and remember that, you know, um, we tend to see the worst of the worst in um, times like these. If we are on social media, we, you know, we hear about the worst of the worst. Uh, if we are following the news more often than not, the same thing. But behind the scenes, incredible things are happening, still happening, will keep happening. So that little, I just wanted to um, both brag and go on record as to this remarkable accomplishment that I am basking in the reflected glow of from Erin's magnificent beryllium mirrors, which are now a million miles in space. And just had to reiterate that. And um, I am also, you know, hoping that if you're feeling very, very bogged down and cynical and sludgy, that, that, that maybe you can go and look that up and, and, you know, feel some sense of wonder and awe. And if you're not interested at all in space, I wonder if you've ever gone and seen a, a very starry night in, you know, an area that doesn't have a light, lot of light pollution on a clear night, um, go out sometime, you owe it to yourself. Make this a, a very important bucket list item to go into a, a, out into the country and maybe during some kind of like cosmic event where there's a lot of shooting stars or something like that and just lie on your back and I think that might change. I think you might become a little more interested in space. It's an to me, it's always a very healing, grounding, but also awe-inspiring, magical experience. And yeah, so, okay. So with that little bit of that glimmer of light and positivity, um, I want to talk about where I find myself now. And it is, as the older I get and the more that I roam through social media um the biggest gift that i think social media has given us has been the understanding that none of us are unique in our problems that no matter what your obscure problem condition health situation circumstances are there's somebody else out there that gets it and understands what you are going through obviously not in a um, you know, identically because everybody's life situations and combination of circumstances are different, but no single problem is unique to just you. And so I find myself in a weird sort of space lately, and it's that I feel like I'm in a fog, a disassociated fog, and I'm sure that that is not at all unusual. I think that's probably fairly common. Um, <clears throat> but what I have identified is that um, I have been in a state of what we call in um, 
what is called an ADHD circles. It's been dubbed waiting mode. I have been in a state of acute waiting mode for two years. Um, and I think it's just kind of a combination of factors of, you know, I do have ADHD and I'm very, very, very prone to waiting mode, which I will explain in a moment. And I also have complex PTSD. So I'm very prone to hypervigilance. And the combination of all of these things, this little cocktail of complex PTSD and ADHD. And if you haven't listened to my podcast in the past, these things are very often, um, those two those two conditions are um, very often found in the same person. They don't know if it's causal or correlation, but it's very um, common for people with complex PTSD to also have ADHD. Um, they do know that childhood adversity has a part to play um, in ADHD. So it stands to reason that um, people with complex PTSD would be uh, quite prone to ADHD. Anyway, it can also just be genetic and it's, uh, it's all those things for me. So I have got, I have been, I have a huge dose of waiting mode. And what waiting mode is, if you don't know, is that um, a very classic example of it is if you are, <clears throat> say for instance, you have an appointment that is out of the ordinary. So for instance, you might have a doctor's appointment at 3 p.m. Those of us uh, with ADHD who are prone to this kind of thing, waiting mode can activate like hours earlier. So let's say like around noon, everything just stops for you. You feel a state of agitation. You, I describe it as like it's a car that's, um, the engine is running and it's revving, but you're in neutral and you can't go. So it's like this undercurrent of mm, lots of energy, mm, nervous energy. Even if you're not nervous about the doctor's appointment, it just is a thing. It's a thing. It's looming. It's looming and it's out of the ordinary for you. It's not in your usual routine. And so then suddenly you just get this paralysis. You cannot get anything done. You just basically have to sit there. It's weird. It literally takes over your body. And there might be plenty of things that need to be done. And you have all this nervous energy. Like you know that it would probably feel good to get things done. But you just sit there in a state of weird paralysis. And there's a couple of reasons that they they give for this. That, um, it's 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 an attention regulation problem disorder. The chemicals in your brain um, fire weirdly. And, um, and it is connected to anxiety. It's kind of like, it just kind of things get, obviously you can read up on it. If, if, if you do have ADHD and you recognize the waiting mode as something that you experience often, but it's things start misfiring and your, your brain doesn't basically know what to do. It overrides the executive function. In other words, like it just overrides. So it's just like, you're like, ding, 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 like the alarms are going off. Uh, do things, do things, do things. I can't do things. My body won't move. I can't like get my brain to put pieces into place on fulfilling tasks. It's the worst. I don't like it. Um, but it's good to have a name for it and to understand it more now. Um, this is why it's, it's so great to have a diagnosis and to, um, and people do not get diagnoses or, any of that as a cop out, they get it so that they can figure out how to work with it. Or, you know, we can only understand and heal what we have or work with what we have words and vocabulary for. So diagnosis is a great for giving us vocabulary for the ex things that we've been experiencing our whole lives. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> I think that I've been experiencing waiting mode in like on turbo for two years. And that has a lot to do with the fact that I've been homeschooling. And I say that in the loosest, most derogatory way possible, Ella, because there is nothing, I have done the worst possible job. And before you um, jump in to say, Kirsty, you just talked about us being not mean to ourselves and, you know, giving ourselves credit and like giving ourselves grace and everything. It's very fine. I am actually fairly proud of the fact that for once 
um, my um, prediction about something, my catas- you know, my over-the-top catastrophizing, catas- catastrophizing? Okay, that's not how you say that, but you know what I'm saying. Um, tendencies, which also byproduct of PTSD. Um, you know, I will see some kind of like looming issue and I'll immediately, you know, leap to the worst possible outcome and predict it like as if it's a foregone conclusion and be very confident in that. And then usually it's only a fraction of as bad as I predict or not at all. But in this case, I nailed it, you guys. I have always said that I would be the worst at homeschooling, that it would be disastrous. And indeed, I super nailed that. I could not have been more right about it. So yeah, I'm somewhat perversely proud of it. And it wasn't even a self-fulfilling prophecy. I just knew. Like, I knew my, my capacity to homeschool was non-existent. There was neither the desire nor the skill nor the executive functioning required for such a thing. And especially to homeschool during a pandemic uh, when I was under a great deal of personal stress. Um, from a thousand different directions for a thousand different reasons. Um, Not optimal. And also, you know, I have a kid who also has ADHD. So the two of us really, really, really um, were not a perfect homeschooling match, um, to put it mildly. And so thankfully, awesome Erin, you know, helped a lot to sort of pick up the shambolic pieces at the end of the day. And uh, Ella had a couple of really solid months of tutoring from her brother, Benjamin, who we employed at one point to um, to tutor her. And fortunately, so very fortunately, um, she is a bright kid. And so hopefully it all pans out. But anyway, for the last two years, I've been doing a phenomenally terrible, terrible job of homeschooling Ella, which is basically... And also sort of just being in a state of permanent hypervigilance because of the virus. And it's just been a weird time. And in the process of that, I've completely lost track of who I am and what that's about. And and I think that's, you know, I think that is probably a fairly common phenomenon. I think probably a lot of people are feeling that, even if they even have the luxury right now or the time or the space to be looking and going, who am I? What did I used to do before? I mean, many, many people are in such acute survival mode that they can't, um, you know, they don't have the luxury to even assess that or to take stock of where they are or who they are or who they once were and where that person went. And the only reason that this is um, actually happening for me right now is because Ella finally went back to school. Um, after two years, uh, today was her first full day back at school and, um, yeah, and I'm just sort of like having a moment, like going, okay, now what, who am I, what's going on? What did I used to do before? What? Like this fog, this fog is sort of lifting. It's sort of lifting and it's given me an opportunity to take stock take inventory. And um, yeah, so I don't know, man, it's, um, I guess what I'll, I guess what I'll offer you next, I'm just kind of still processing it and just got lost in the fog there for a moment, as you can probably tell. I guess what I can offer you now are tips that I've learned for how to get out of um, wait mode just in everyday life. Like if you do have an appointment at the end of the day and you have ADHD um, or you have some kind of paralysis when it comes to new things or new tasks for whatever reason. Um, And what my intention is, is to use the same tips, the same um, skills and that I'm trying to develop to manage uh, my ADHD effectively uh, or more efficiently or, you know, work with it um, to get out of this state that I've been in, this sort of state of extended limbo, of stuckness, of fogginess, 
Um, and I think that's really what I'm going to do. And that's what I have been doing for the last day and a half. And the more I'm sort of doing these things, the more I, I start to see more and more of a lifting of this fog. So if you are feeling like, who am I? What next? Who was I before? Just directionless, purposeless, lost, out of touch with yourself. Um, or just, you know, in that state of, I want to do things, I need to do things, but like there's a desire deep inside of me, but I can't access it. I can't make it, make it translate into actual action. Here are some tips and these work for ADHD weight mode on, you know, on a small scale basis as well. First of all, if you find yourself in that state of paralysis, it's very helpful. And I've been doing this over the last day to just brain dump, to start making lists. I've been making lists of um, things I like to do, things that I want to do. If my brain would let me, if I could get out of weight mode, things that, that sound fun and exciting. And I have done that because another tip, another thing that's effective in breaking this waiting mode is to not go, okay, well, you know, when you're in that state of paralysis, okay, well, you know, there are two hours left and you better just snap out of this and go and, you know, clean your bathrooms or uh, clean out your fridge, you know, things that are just both tedious and overwhelming at the best of times. Um, don't make lists of things you want to do. Don't put, you know, do make lists of things that, that light a fire. For me, that's creative endeavors. I have so many urges throughout the day to do creative things. And then executive functioning sort of keeps me from following through. And it's super frustrating. But I'm finding that if I actually write them down and don't let them float around like sort of like ash in the wind... Um, it, it really does help my mind to kind of grasp, like, what is it that I'm about? What is it that would make me happy? And then maybe just take one step towards doing that thing. So first of all, mind dump lists of how you want to feel. One of the thing, one of the lists that was helpful to me is how you want to feel. How did you feel when you're at your best? What kinds of things make you feel good? What kinds of things make you feel like you're in the driver's seat of your life? What kinds of things spark joy? Because I think that we all sort of have this dampen, there's a damper on our joy um, that we aren't even aware of anymore. And we're almost sometimes skeptical or confused or even guilty if we do feel flashes of just inexplicable joy or pleasure. Um, because, you know, but my best friend is suffering in such an acute way. And how can I feel lighthearted right now? No, capture that, grab onto it and, and like, ride it as far as it will go, because that is so needed. That is fuel. That is the fuel that we all need to be able to prop each other up on this, this never ending journey. So um, brain dump stuff like that, like what makes me feel alive? What kinds of things do I dream of doing? What kinds of things do, you know, I see other people doing that look super fun. What kinds of things did I used to do that made me feel good about myself? All those things, because I seriously had completely just you know, forgotten who I was, forgotten everything, just, just have become so numb and so, um, detached and disassociated, um, over time and just let so many things slip in terms of self-care, just so, you know, which was so short-sighted because I was trying to take care of everybody else, but honestly, it is become so crystal painfully devastatingly clear to me in the last little while that when I sacrifice myself and my self-care to take care of other people it is sabotage 
I will end up harming myself and others by extension every single time. Don't do it, especially if you're in any way, if you struggle with mental health or it's just, it is a, it is a terrible trap. And um, so, yeah, I am, I, I am doing this as much as a service probably mainly motivated as I, 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 I want to be all I can be for those around me. And I for sure as hell don't want to hurt people when I spiral, which has happened to me recently. And it's just so painful. You know, it's one thing when you spiral and you're in pain, but when other people are, you know, caught up in that awful tidal wave, oh, such it's so hard it's so painful it's yeah gosh that's 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 when it really gets soul destroying so this reinvestment in figuring out who i am and and you know snapping out of this weird state of limbo disassociation and sort of self-abandonment um is very important to me and it feels like a a very critical thing and a responsible thing to do. So if you feel like all of this is sounding, wow, Kirsty, nice for you, little Miss Privilege, choose kid is finally back in school, way to go, must be nice. I am on like a 12 hour shift, my second one, you know, in 24 hours at a hospital, like, yeah, cool. All right. Um, yeah, I am very aware of my privilege. I am very aware of the luxury that I've had to take care of myself. Um, and I'm con constantly grateful for it. And I can only speak from, you know, my own experience and, you know, the resources that I have available to me. And, um, you know, my, my circumstances, of course, are mine alone and, and, and my process is, is going to be unique to me. But I hope that we all realize that when we invest in ourselves, even if it seems selfish, self-absorbed or, you know, sort of like a luxury that we can't afford to have, at a time like this, I think that's a lie. I think it's a pernicious and dangerous lie. And I feel like if everybody would invest in themselves just a little bit more, um, we would all be suffering considerably less. And, you know, there's a saying that says people go to therapy to talk about the pain that is being inflicted or the things that they have to deal with because of the people in their lives who won't go to therapy. And honestly, across the board, this is true. I've never known somebody in therapy for whom this isn't true. <laughs> um, you know, whether it was their parents who refused to get help or didn't know that they needed help, or if it's their spouse or their children or, you know, their peers or whatever it is. Um, when we invest in ourselves, we invest in a community. We become our strongest, best selves we have so much more capacity to serve and so yes i know that there's not a lot of time and space for so many of us but if you can carve it out it is worth actually sacrificing what you think you're doing for someone else to do more for yourself drop something that you're doing for other people because if you're pouring from an empty well it's yeah you're not doing as good a job as you think you're doing helping others from that empty space. Of course, you know, sometimes we're in survival mode. Sometimes we're nursing people who are very ill and we've just got to dig in and be all in. But if this has become your lifestyle, if this is just who you are and you've just kind of accepted your role as a martyr who just doesn't fill their own well and just gives and gives and gives, um, you're not doing the service that you think you're doing even if you're not of fragile mental health, um, even if you're, you know, not prone to meltdowns or depression or whatever, you're, by doing this, you're modeling, you know, self-abandonment to people who are watching, even if you don't have kids, you're modeling it to your friends, you're modeling it to your spouse, your coworkers and stuff. There is 
amazing service to be done in modeling self-care and in sacrificing taking care of others for um, taking care of yourself first. The, the whole putting on your own oxygen mask first thing is as real as real can be and has never been more real. And my life has been a painful and dramatic lesson in that lately. That for two years I just bled myself dry without filling my well. You know, little by little by little, I just sort of gave over to more and more self-abandonment. And at the end of the day, it was super destructive. It was just across the board bad news for everybody involved. Now, you know, did we all learn from it? Can we all grow from it? Can we pick up the pieces and take good things from it and and all that stuff? Yes, you know, we can take any experience and, and find good in it and, and make the most of it and everything. And some good does come from hitting rock bottom. So if you have hit rock bottom and have spiraled out, don't, you know, wallow in, in self-loathing or in guilt and whatever, because out of every horrible situation, you can find value. There can be things that everybody can learn and grow from and ultimately end up better off from if it's all dealt, you know, if, if, if it's approached with love and honesty and a, a, a great desire to change and to be better, it, it absolutely can be the case, you know? Um, and so, you know, while my self abandonment ultimately led to self sort of just you know a very sort of self-destructive moment which the tidal waves of which really sort of washed over everybody I loved and was harmful to them a lot of good also came of that you know I a lot of preconceived notions and dyna dynamics that we had all accepted as normal and healthy which were not healthy um, <clears throat> were exposed and you know a lot of stuff that those sandy foundations were kind of washed away and we have been able to all look at things differently and rebuild hopefully on much firmer ground. So I want to offer hope, you know, if that's where you are and things have spiraled out of control and you are at rock bottom and things do feel self-destructive and you have harmed others, there is always hope. There is always a way up. There's always a way to build on that and to be better and to heal and to use it. But honestly, is it better to preempt things? Yes. Is it better not to get COVID? <laughs> I'm going to throw in this plug. Then, um, you know, is it better to wear a mask and not get COVID? Ultimately, I think so. Yeah, pretty much. You know, even though we can recover from it and it's nice to have those antibodies, right? Great. Ultimately, I'm going to wear a mask so I don't get COVID if I possibly can. See that sort of analogy? Hopefully you're on the same page as me, COVID-wise. <laughs> Otherwise, it's not a good one for you. Um, but yeah, you know, my first, you know, my my first um, step into finding myself again is to make lists and start small by doing things that are interesting, challenging, things that might feel urgent will also snap you out if you are in weight mode, things that are just really urgent. This is why sometimes people who are in very bad depression or in the doldrums and then some kind of crisis comes along where they're called upon to help and be present, um, it can sometimes snap them out of it. It can sometimes snap them out of that paralysis. You know, if it's something urgent, if you need to address something urgent, use that, you know, use that urgency. Um, something new that you've never done before, you know, use this. If you're trying to figure out who you are and you're feeling disassociated and ungrounded and foggy and weird and lost, and you're like, who was I before? Like, I've really been preoccupied with, like, I know I was like this dynamic person before. What did I do? Well, that person's like in the past. Now I'm me. So what looks seems good now? 
What seems fun now? What's new? Maybe start from there. Maybe stop trying to create pre-pandemic Kirsty and create mid to post pandemic Kirsty and start something totally new. Uh, you know, we don't have to grasp and try to get back what who we were before. That's not necessary. Um, if there were things that we liked to do before and we let fall by the wayside that did make us feel good, by all means, let's do them again. But I think something that's also good for like snapping out of weight mode or snapping out of whatever, speaking for myself, you know, the sort of like disassociated, who am I, what now, what is life, what is my personality, what are my goals, what do I like to do, um, is start fresh engage in something you didn't do before and you know that's fun that's exciting and that is some that is a way of sort of getting out of weight mode um you know when it's when you're doing it on a minor scale waiting for an appointment um and there's been some little task, some sort of, sort of creative task, like reorganizing a bookshelf, you know, in an aesthetically pleasing way that you've been putting off, then use that creative energy to do that while you're waiting for that appointment, rather than cleaning out your fridge or, or scrubbing your toilets. It's still something you want to do. So do something new, do something fun, do that. Um, we seem to have, you know, it's weird how we are as human beings, we prioritize the crappy stuff. We're like, those are things that must be done. Well, life is short and um, there are some things that need to be done for, you know, our homes and our lives to be functional and what have you. But often we put a premium on stuff that actually can wait instead of doing things that will fill us, you know, like we'll be like, definitely must clean out the fridge today, even though I have a strong urge to um do a watercolor you know to explore watercoloring again or to garden you know must do the bad task must do the, the serious um fun task that is definitely you know that's the right thing that's the priority because it's the crappy one well is it though will you know the world continue to turn will your life continue to be okay if the fridge waits one more day and you seize the day and pick up the paintbrush or you know go plant something and feel the earth in your hands like life is short so it's weird how we sort of default to the crummy task is the you know the sort of like non-bucket filling task is must take first priority sometimes yeah it it must just so that the wheels can keep turning um you know, sometimes you do have to fill up your car with gas, even though you would rather just go do wheelies in a parking lot until, <laughs> you know, whatever it is that guys do in parking lots, those spins, Aaron still likes to do those. And he's, you know, well into his 40s and has touched eternity. But it, whatever, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes you have to go and be responsible and fill up with gas rather than just run out your gas tank during spins in a in a slippery parking lot. I do not know why that bizarre analogy came to mind. But, you know, I'm not unrealistic. And I think you understand where I'm going with this. But maybe have a little shift in... That's what I did today. I was like, there are dishes in the sink. And... Uh, the house is trashed and you know this is the first day that Ella's back at school so it is my duty to reclaim the house and make sure that the dishes are done well guess what the dishes will five minutes later be back in the sink the house will be trashed again tomorrow and I felt like recording a podcast which will be forever and maybe it will help somebody and maybe it will just be a record of how truly unhinged I am at this moment in time either way it it fills my creative bucket. Um, it scratches an itch that I have to share something that I hope will help somebody that I feel like is not a unique problem to me that might be a collective issue. And if nothing else, it is recorded for posterity. It will last. We will always have this moment in time, um, me rambling in this moment in time um, recorded, which I think is probably 
a better choice for me today than doing the dishes. You know, and so if I can leave you with that, perhaps the way in which we can all reclaim some joy and some lightness, other than focusing on the fact that there are wonderful, droves of wonderful people collaborating and excited and many things to look forward to in the future still. And many good and committed people working towards a brighter, healthier future, working very hard to saving the planet and all that good stuff. Um, is giving ourselves permission to do the fun thing, to prioritize it as just as equal whenever we can to the tedious thing. When we have an opportunity and we can you know, weigh those two things and we have the chance and we have the motivation to do something fun, maybe that is exactly, exactly what our first priority should be. And I really think that that's how I'm going to reclaim myself and find my joy and discover once again the dynamic human being that I used to feel like. I honestly do think that it is by prioritizing what is fun, what is creatively fulfilling, what is healing. And that in itself can be a discipline. So... I give you permission to do the same. And I hope this has helped in some small way. It's something that I've said today has helped in some small way. Again, if you are struggling, if things are impossibly dark, um, they will not be forever. No feeling is final. Um, recently, things have felt so impossibly dark. I mentioned that in my last podcast, I've alluded to it in this one rock bottom was reached and I honestly couldn't see any glimmer of light and it came sooner than I imagined and if you hang in there it will come for you too there is nothing you're not doing life wrong this is a hard time if you are struggling and suffering don't make yourself wrong. Don't beat yourself up. Don't make it harder by doing that. Give yourself all the props for hanging in there. And do whatever you have to do to stay alive. Whatever you have to do. I give you full permission for that too. If now is not the time for you to come out of a state of disassociation and doldrums and numbness, and now is just the time for you to survive and disassociate and stare at a wall or you know, watch hours of TV, Netflix, TikTok, eat endless amounts of toast with marmalade. Oddly specific, uh, oddly specific um, example, no reason. Um, do that. Do whatever it is you need to do to stay alive. We need you. You are valuable. You are irreplaceable. These are not just words. I'm glad that I hung in here. Even though rock bottom was reached and there was, I felt like of no value, of nothing. And I've felt that way countless times before. And I am grateful that I hung in there every single time. I get it. I understand it. And if you're ready to break out of this, I hope that these suggestions can help. Go and have some fun. Make a list of things that make you feel that spark. And then pick one of them and start doing it. Make some small attempt. Gather the paintbrushes. You know, whatever it is, just, just show yourself that you're worth it. The dishes will continuously be there for you trust me and with that i am off to do them because there must needs be balance i love you so very much thank you for tuning in hang in there you are doing so much better than you imagine um because you're here and nothing more is required of you you are of infinite value and always will be regardless 
All right. I will talk to you very soon, I hope. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you.